It's true that scripture says of us in Romans chapter 6 that if we're in Christ, we're no longer under the law, but under grace. That is true. That doesn't mean we don't follow the law, though. We must when we understand the text. This is when we understand the text, studying God's Word to reach all the riches of full assurance in Christ. Thank you for subscribing, and if this is ministered to you, please let others know about our program. Here once again is Pastor Gabe Hughes. Thank you, Becky. We continue our study of the book of Acts. This week we've been in chapter 21, and I'm going to read almost to the very end of the chapter, at least to the point where Paul gets arrested. We're going to start here in verse 17 and read through verse 36. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality." Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut." And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! 
And that's at least as far as we're going to get today as we finish up what we've been reading this week in Acts 21. In the next portion, Paul speaks to the people, and that goes from the end of 21 into Acts 22. I think it would be better actually to put the chapter division where uh, Acts 21:37 is. But anyway, we'll get to that next week where uh, uh, Paul speaks to the people and all of this setting in motion, him eventually getting to Rome. That's ultimately where this goes. So we come back again to Acts 21:17, with Paul and his company arriving in Jerusalem. The brothers there received us gladly. And we know there is a, a huge gathering of Christians there in Jerusalem. They're being persecuted, but because of the persecution that has happened to the Christians there, there's a famine that has struck this land. You remember that? Agabus had predicted it back in Acts chapter 11, and it is understood from many historians to have lasted for about three years. Many people in Judea died as a result of this famine. So the numbers were decimated, but the Christians who were there were taken care of. So there was this was like the judgment of God that had come upon the people of Judea because of the persecution that was coming against those Christians. The churches, even in in areas uh, throughout the Roman Empire, had supported the church there in Jerusalem because of the famine that was going on. Paul talked about this with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, that they should gather money, that it would go to help the brethren who were in Jerusalem. And Paul talked about it in other epistles as well, so that he would personally deliver this offering to come to the Jews as a relief. Either he would do it or uh, others could be appointed that would go and take the money to Jerusalem. So the, the Christians are I wouldn't say they were well taken care of. I mean, it's still a famine. It's going to affect people, but they're taken care of better than the rest of the Jews are. So the Christians have thrived there in Jerusalem, while many of the numbers of the Jews who have been opposed to the church have been depleted. So there is kind of a, a weakness among these antagonists that are going to come against Paul that we've read about here in chapter 21, still strength in number, uh, uh, still, Paul is not able to resist them, but they have been nevertheless affected by this famine that had come upon the land. So just to kind of let you know of some of the climate that's going on here at this particular time, which we've read about previously in Acts, the famine had happened in the 40s A.D., but there was still a need for aid as uh, to recover from something like that. This that we're reading about here in Acts chapter 21, this is happening in the late 50s. And Paul actually ends up being here probably a little bit longer than you remember before he goes to Rome. But we'll talk about all of that as we uh, as we go through this, you know, over the next couple of weeks, however long it takes to get through these next few chapters. So then once again, they're received by the brothers there at Jerusalem. On the following day, Paul went in to James and all the elders were present. Now, some have argued that James here is being referred to as an apostle. I think that that argument is kind of up in the air. You can believe that James was an apostle if you want to, <laughs> though I still hold that it was the 12 plus Paul. I think that's the safest estimate. Or you can go the 12 plus James plus Paul, since it does seem like James does get referred to as an apostle on occasion. But James was most certainly the half brother of Jesus. So there is an importance about James that is held in high esteem, though he may not officially have the title of apostle and certainly not one of the 12. But nevertheless, he is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. 
He would be one that would be considered to be first among equals, James and the other elders, just like you might think of John MacArthur being the uh, the pastor of Grace Community Church. It's an elder led church, but he would be first among equals. Same would have been true of R.C. Sproul when he was alive. St. Andrews is elder ruled. But Sproul, Dr. Sproul would have been first among equals. Everybody associated Sproul as being the pastor of St. Andrews. So that's kind of James' role here at the church at Jerusalem. He's, uh, he's the pastor. He's the overseer. Verse 19, after greeting them, after Paul greeted them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So again, reminding them, you know, they're in Judea. They don't see many Gentiles, but reminding them of the work of the gospel has not been just among the Jews, but it has even been to the Gentiles all throughout the Roman Empire. Paul hasn't yet made it to Rome, but in all of these Roman cities that he's been in, they've seen many, many thousands of Gentile converts come to the faith. And when they heard it, they glorified God. But now they have a very serious matter they need to talk about with Paul, especially concerning his presence there in Jerusalem, which, if it's not handled carefully, could actually hinder the ministry that they're doing for the sake of the gospel there among the Jews. So here's what they said to him. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. And we saw this at the beginning of the book of Acts in the first third of Acts that regularly thousands of Christians are being added to them uh, on a consistent basis. So you had a megachurch that was gathering there in the temple in Jerusalem. I put this to uh, the Sunday school class at our church recently, just this past Sunday. Uh, and I said to them, where was it that the Christians at Jerusalem met? It's true that many uh, early churches met in homes but how about that first church right there in Jerusalem? Where did they meet? I think some knew the answer. You're just kind of hesitant to speak up. And eventually we came to the temple. That was where they were gathered. The church would go to the temple to gather. And that's where the gospel was preached. And then as other Jews came in to be in the temple for any other reasons, they would hear the apostles that were preaching the gospel. So many thousands of the Jews have come to belief. They're in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area of Judea. They are all zealous for the law. So they've gone from being Orthodox Jews to now Jewish converts to Christianity, still with zeal for the law of God. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Paul has been primarily a missionary to the Gentiles. Jesus even told Ananias, who was the guy who baptized Paul, he told Ananias that he was going to be uh, my witness to Jews and to Gentiles and before kings and governors. This was what Paul's assignment was, his commissioning was by Christ to do this. So he's been going about the Gentiles, spreading the gospel. What the Jewish leaders are telling the Jewish believers is that Paul is telling Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. That's the end of verse 21. Here's 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do they uh, do therefore what we tell you? So this is this is wise advice that they're going to give to Paul here. 
We have four men who are under a vow, a Nazarite vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Is this making sense? So these four men who have been committed to this Nazarite vow, Paul is going to go with them into the temple and partake in the vow with them, the purification ceremony of that vow, so that the people will see Paul is not usurping the law. He's not dismissing the law, nor is Paul giving a demonstration of the power of the law to save. That, that's not what Paul is doing. That's not what he's submitting to, which is most certainly what the Pharisees and other teachers have been telling the people. If you want to be saved, you have to observe the law. But remember what Paul told the Corinthians. I became all things to all people so that I might save Jews and I might save Gentiles by the preaching of the gospel, putting a stumbling block in front of no one. So even though this ritual that uh, this this purification ritual that Paul is going to partake in, according to the law of God, even though it really does nothing for his salvation, he doesn't want to give credibility to those who are raising the argument, who are lying about Paul and saying of him that he's telling people you don't have to pay attention to the law of Moses anymore. So doing this in such a public place like the temple is a demonstration to the people. I am not guilty of what these men are saying that I'm guilty of. I am not telling people not to obey the law anymore. Look at how I am partaking in this ritual and paying for the other men to do it demonstrates that he's not trying to get anyone else not to follow the law. So he himself is partaking and he is even covering the uh, the offering cost for those men who are partaking likewise and this to be a demonstration of the people so not to put a stumbling block in front of anyone thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance to the law my brothers and sisters do you and i live in observance to the law do we do you live in observance to the law of god Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> I hope you do, because otherwise, by breaking the law, you stand before God as a lawbreaker. Do you not? We as Christians follow and keep the Ten Commandments, though we keep them in a different way. For if we are obeying the two tables of the law, the, the, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the basis of the first four commandments. And to love your neighbor as yourself, which is the basis of the next six. In doing those things, we are keeping the law. And Paul has even said in Romans, to the Christians, love is the keeping of the law. To the Gentiles, he said it, love is the keeping of the law. If you and I are loving God and we are loving others, then we are keeping the law. Jesus said to his disciples, you will show me that you love me when you obey my commandments. And we have it even said to us in 1 John chapter 2, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. 
By the way, that was reading to you from 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. Actually, I think I started in verse 4. Verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. We come to know that we love God because we keep his commandments. Uh, What do we read in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27? God saying, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Becoming a Christian is not a lawless conversion. We have been changed from lawbreakers to law keepers. We have been changed from those who were in rebellion against God to now those who desire to serve and please God. And serving God as our king means we will obey the laws of his kingdom, and they are the commandments of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it's true that Romans chapter 6 says you are no longer under the law, but under grace, meaning you are not going to be judged by the law. Because by faith in Jesus Christ, we have been justified. We've been forgiven our sins, our transgressions against the law, and we live in the grace of Christ. But living in Christ's grace means you demonstrate that. Not that you go sin and then believe, well, God's just going to forgive me of my sin anyway. No, because as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, if that's the way you live, you're still enslaved to sin and you are not under grace. If we are in the grace of God, then we are going to live according to Jesus, according to the way Jesus walked. We walk in his grace. Therefore, we show our affections to him when we obey what it is that he has said to us. So you and I most definitely are law keepers. We are not law breakers. We're law keepers. We keep the law of God, and it is our delight to keep his law because we want to serve our king. We're convicted over sin. We don't want the sin. We hate the sin. God hates sin, so we hate sin, desiring godliness and to be made more like Christ. So therefore, we desire to keep the law. And Paul is demonstrating that to the Jews also, that he is not a lawbreaker, and he's not been telling people, he's not been spreading antinomianism. He's not been spreading this greasy grace sort of a thing like, yeah, you can just dismiss the law of Moses. Now it's not important anymore. It's absolutely important because Jesus is the fulfillment of that Mosaic law, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Now, there are ritual things that we do not have to follow anymore, including this Nazarite vow that Paul is fulfilling with these men. But he's doing it so that he's not putting a stumbling block in front of any Jew that they may not believe the lies of these Pharisees and what they've said about Paul. This is for their sake that they may come to know the gospel. They will listen to Paul, the gospel that has been preached by him and the church there at Jerusalem. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, or I'm going on here, verse 25, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. So they're reminding Paul of the letter that's been sent out to the Gentiles from the Jerusalem church, which we read back in Acts chapter 15. This is the church telling Paul, we've still been upholding this. We've been telling this to the Gentiles, what we agreed upon in Acts 15. What we read in Acts 15. (laughs) What we agreed upon those several years ago, we've still been teaching that. 
but this is so we would not lose any of the Jews that we are preaching the gospel to. So verse 26, when Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them, he went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, that's the amount of time for the completion of this vow, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And it explains that that particular charge here in verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. What they're accusing him of, he hasn't done, but they're just trying to do anything they can to stir up the crowd against him, even to put Paul to death because they don't want to lose the people to Christianity. They want to continue to maintain their control and their power in the illusion of, hey, you do these laws, and that's what it is that is going to save you. But we know that we are not justified by the law. We keep the law to demonstrate that we have been saved by grace through faith. Our keeping the law doesn't sanctify us either. Christ sanctifies us, but our keeping the law is a demonstration of the righteousness of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So the law doesn't save, the law doesn't sanctify, but our keeping of the law shows that we are servants of the King Most High, the one who has written the law. These men are trying to say that Paul is a lawbreaker and they are slandering this man for he is not guilty of any of the things that have been said of him. Verse 30, all the city was stirred up and the people together, they seized Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. The tribune was the Roman leader that was there in that particular region. So he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, hearing about this mob that was going on. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. So he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed crying out away with him. Now, here's an interesting thing being done here. God is actually using the Roman soldiers to protect Paul from the Jews. And this is to the Jews condemnation that Gentiles have to be protecting a man of God rather than the Jews who should be protecting this man. And eventually the Romans are going to come against the Jews full force and they're going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple, which is something that's just about half a generation away from uh, the events that we're reading about right here. So we're going to bring, it's not even that far. I think it's a little over a decade, but anyway, we're going to bring this to a close for today. And then when we pick up our study in acts starting in verse 37, we'll read through into chapter 22 with Paul's address to the people after this arrest here. Let's conclude with prayer. Our heavenly father, we thank you for your goodness. And though we had broken your law and what we deserved was Death and the judgment of God, 
You did not leave us dead in our sins, but you sent your son to die for us, fulfilling the law, dying on the cross for our sins. And now all who believe in him are no longer under the law, but under the grace of God. And we praise you for that. But I pray that we would be those who love the law of God. We understand the words of David in Psalm 119. Lord, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. For it is in your law that it is demonstrated for us the righteousness of God. And we want to walk in your righteousness. So give us a heart for this. And may we, in love, likewise, be keepers of the law, serving our King with all our heart, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. Lead us in these things today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more about our ministry, visit us online at www.utt.com.